Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. This is Mark Warner along with our host, Chris Lisa. Today, we're going to have a real fun chat with Jillian Fisher. She is a described sports anthropologist, so we're going to we're going to define that and <laughs> find out if it's a labor of love or a love of the labor. Uh, Jillian, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you guys for having me. I'm I'm excited to be be on the show. No, it's our pleasure. Our pleasure. You guys can uh, catch Jillian. She's at Fisher Jillian, Jillian F I S H E R G I L L I A N. Just how it sounds. Her IG and Snapchat are the same. So if you guys get into the conversation and want to want to spend some more time checking out her content, uh, go ahead and follow her on Twitter. That's pretty much the best way to get get links to all her stuff. So let's first define uh, a little bit for the for the listeners. What is a sports anthropologist? It's a question I get a lot. So it's, <laughs> I think I've gotten used to describing it. It's just the study of sport and culture, and there's lots of different ways you can touch on it. But sports are a really great way to look into a window of somebody else's world. And, I mean, I hate to bring up food, but, like, you see all those travel shows where they're going and tasting the food. Sure. It's kind of like that, but with sports. Um, so for me, it just happens to be the best way and the way that I best understand learning another another culture. And again, you can touch on it. You can look at global politics. You can look at gender. Those things are all important, but I focus on fan culture and how fans really reflect a local culture, a city. You can do a state. You can even do a country. And how they also, they kind of shape that local community. So it's just, it's a fun journey. It's, again, it, it can be a labor of love sometimes. Um, but it's a journey, and it's, it's something that I think that throughout my my life of being a sports fan, I always felt that there was something missing from the media. You know, I, I love watching the play-by-plays, I love watching the analysis, but I always felt that there was something missing, and that was just the, the people who were there cheering for it, their stories, what's going on outside of that arena, outside of that park, and what it means to them. So that's really what I focus on. I, again, I'll touch on the other stuff, but I really like the fan culture. It's, it's, it's just so much passion there. It's so fun to tap into that. So in, in your travels, then, let's... Uh... Let's let's call out the uh, the best sports fan city that you've come across oh. in the last five years. How about that one? I will put. Oh. I'll, I'll leave you a little wiggle room by putting a timeline on it. <laughs> but uh, last five years, best sports fan that you've personally gone and and witnessed. Okay, so this is a loaded question. You guys know that, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, <laughs> that's what we're good at. Yeah. Um. So. I'll, I'll say something cliche. They all have something special in their own way, right? They all have right. something different that they bring to the table. And they all, you know, there's some similarities, but there's a lot of unique differences. Um, but honestly, if, you're, if we're going last five years, I went to a Barcelona game when I was living in Spain. And I did a Barcelona and I did a Madrid, Real Madrid game. And those Barcelona fans, oh my gosh, they're unlike anything I've ever witnessed anywhere. I mean, you talk about Europe and soccer, and until you really experience it and you sit there in the stadium with those fans and some of the supporters, it's it's a, like a family tradition almost with them. I mean, they, they're there with some of their family members, and they speak a lot of English in Barcelona, and they, they of course, are teaching me the chants, and they, uh, they would teach me how to say something in Catalan, and I would say it, and obviously they taught me to to scream something really dirty because I would say it and they'd be like, oh, they'd all laugh at me. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so that's, that was fun. But it was just this, like, passion that was a part of who they were more than anything that I've ever seen before. Um, so talking globally, I'd have to go with Barcelona fans. But if you want me to get into U.S., I can. Um, How about North America? Yeah, North America. I, can, I, I knew that's what we were digging at there, but... Um, no, the Barcelona thing's cool. That's uh, they, they, one thing that I noticed. I'm kind of a closet Tour de France fan and a cycling fan. And when they go to yeah. the Tour to Spain, uh, mm-hmm. Con- Contador was a freaking icon 
in that country. Oh, uh, yeah. Because he, you know, I think he won three or four of the Tour de France and the Tour de Spain. And I think he got a couple of Tour Italy's as well. And and just the, oh, way, wow. just the way, yeah, he, Alberto Contador was fantastic until he got caught up in all the doping scandals with cycling. Yeah. And he was a freaking icon in in Spain. He just huge. So that's interesting that you would throw the Barcelona fans out there. But what do you, what, what's, what about North America? So, and I have to stress this. Everybody has offered something really special and really unique. Um, but for me, growing up, and I, I, I grew up playing soccer, and we were also an ice hockey family, too. So I grew up with both of those loves. And ice hockey was probably my biggest passion. And you always heard about Minnesota, and, you know, I know that they had a chunk of time there where they didn't have a team, but you hear about them being the state of hockey, and a lot of cities and, and places get nicknamed, you know, city, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, doesn't really match up, so um, it was really wild, to, I didn't mean to say wild for the Minnesota wild, that was a coincidence nice, there, but, nice play on words, yeah, <laughs> uh, I should have just pretended like that was normal, but, um, <laughs> Uh, when I went there and really experienced ice hockey there, and not just the NHL, honestly, it almost felt like the NHL was secondary to some of the other ice hockey, like college ice hockey, high school ice hockey that was there. And it was amazing to see how the state of hockey for those fans, and it, it's almost like in Minnesota, I imagine what in the South, what college football is like, what the, how that's so important to them. And it's, it's in order to be a part of the conversation in many situations, you have to know something about ice hockey. And they also were incredibly nice fans. They, you know, you never know what you're walking into. Every time I go somewhere, I get these nervous butterflies because you're walking into somebody else's world and you're hoping that they show it to you. And, and everybody so far has really opened up to me, but they were just so excited that somebody was excited about the state of hockey and they couldn't wait to show you. And, I was there for the stadium series, but they're like, you have to come back for the college, um, college ice hockey and the, the, the high school state. Like, that's huge. They set out the Excel and, um, it was just, you never know if that's going to match up with, with the nickname they get. And it was really cool to see just how it matched up. And being a huge fan of ice hockey, it was really cool to see that. So, uh, I imagine that Herb Brooks is pretty, uh, involved in the culture there with with that part of it huh oh yeah and especially with the let's play hockey that was um probably because we went to both stadium series games and they really did a good job of trying to incorporate something for them for both of the local towns and it was really cool to see that because they went nuts for that they went so crazy for that and you could just feel how important that was for them and you could really feel it you mentioned the stadium series, and I was I was kind of lurking through your timeline there, and I wanted to ask you specifically yeah. about the the Colorado alumni game. Uh, and I was, was I was watching that on TV, and I wanted to know if the atmosphere in the stadium was as electric as it appeared to be watching on a television screen, because obviously you lose quite a bit. But that alumni game to me was was I think they said 18 Stanley Cup championships, 12 Norris trophies, five MVPs on the ice with that game. It was quite possibly, it almost was better than the stadium series game itself. I was um, say, yeah. <laughs> it, it was all, you, you don't want to say that it was because more fans showed up and there was, there was that excitement for the stadium series, but there was something so historic about that game. And it was funny because we were, I was actually thinking of a post to write about like the top five game stadium series I'd love to see. And it was funny because I'm like, man, I wish I could have done a post about like the that rivalry, that the Avs Red Wings rivalry. And it was just so cool to see it played out in real life, and just to see Raw back in net yeah. was unreal. It, and good it, too. it was, and you know what? I was surprised to see some of the players out there. I mean, I don't know if you guys were just as surprised as me about that. They were out there, and I was impressed <laughs> by the. About how much they could still skate and how they didn't seem to be really slacking as much as I thought they would be. <laughs> no, is uh, I saw one play and I forget who it was, but uh, the Red Wings. 
I want to say it was Cicerelli, but it may be wrong. He was uh, he was just about to go off for a change, and someone was coming over the blue line, and he slew-footed him and spun him around. <laughs> and then uh, the guy held his hands out. He's like, dude, what are you doing? And then Cicerelli started skating towards the bench and slashed him right in the gut and then took off for yeah. the bench. And I was like, wow, okay, this is Colorado, Detroit, again, right now yeah. in front of me. And uh, – as it was it was more intense than what you would usually see in an alumni game like that and and yeah some of the guys they they could skate they could shoot uh Sackick, uh played a great game as well uh Patrick was he you know he came out before the game and said he'd been he'd been in net with his team during uh after practice taking shots working out getting flexible so he was taking it personal and serious and i that, that was just interesting to me that you were at that game and i wanted to get get your take on that chris you want to jump in with anything here buddy yeah i think uh jillian did you go to an uh an islander event this year did i read that right i did and it's funny because i i do want to bring that up at a certain point because that was again crazy to see a supporter section in the nhl it's and I have learned that there are two more that I did not know about since then, but it was it was a crazy way it happened. But I I happened to meet up with the one of the founders of the supporter section, the Blue and Orange Army, and he was like, "You should come." Like I, I we were both at a different event for soccer for the New York Red Bulls, and he's like, "Yo, if you think this is cool, you should come check this out." And I was like, "Absolutely, I'm there. Bring, look me up. I'm ready to go." And it was, you know, I don't know. If, are you guys familiar with uh, supporters groups in in soccer, like the MLS? I don't know if you guys are. Yeah, my brother lives up in a Portland, and uh, the, oh, okay. the the Seattle Portland rivalry up there for for the yeah. MLS is ridiculous. And my brother's fully engaged in that. So the, it's and it's really cool. It's a really cool concept of a supporters group and. Um, it's something that you see a lot over in Europe, and it's really great, I think, really great to see it coming to the U.S. It really bolsters that um, that sport culture. It really does. It really helps add to that. Because it, it really is just fandom in a family is really what it comes down to. Every supporters group I've been to, they feel like they have chosen another family because you go through so much with them, and you spend your energy at these games. You're cheering the whole time. You're banging the drums. You're singing the songs. And, you know, in, in Saka, they, they paint what they call TIFOs, which are big banners, and they display them. And so it was really interesting for me to see how that would play out at the, in the NHL because there's some things that just wouldn't work. For example, they'll sing songs the entire game. Well, there's stoppages of play in, in the NHL, so it's kind of hard to be singing a song that whole time. And where would they sit because, you know, and they sit behind the soccer net, the goalie's net in um, in the MLS. So, and it was really great to see how they kind of adapted that and how they've really taken that supporters group and used it to bolster the support for themselves with that move because that move was tough when they moving from uh, the, moving from well, they're still technically on the island, but moving to Brooklyn. Right. So, and they were again so welcoming and so excited that somebody was excited about this. And it was it was great to see also how Barclays was trying hard to really connect with them. Um, walking around with Tom, the, the one of the founders, every it seemed like every usher, every employee in that stadium knew him by name. So you could tell they were trying to take it take that move serious for them and it's also great to see how that helps them feel connected to the team. So I think fan engagement is super important. I'd love to see it more in the NHL, and they're doing a great job. And if you ever hear the yes, yes, yes chant, you can thank the Blue and Orange Army because they had started it. Um, so it was a lot of fun, and it, it, I was, it was a crazy game because the Islanders were shooting – had so many shots on that, and they just couldn't get anything in until like the last 30 seconds of the game. They tied it. So the place was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. Um, I definitely had a great time, and we filmed for that one, too, for the web series. So well, let me, that'll let be me, a really good Let episode. me jump in here and take us out to a break. Yeah. We're uh, right up against the yeah. clock here. We'll come back, and we'll finish that up at how that, that kind of atmosphere might help some of the yeah. other struggling cities in the NHL. We'll be right yeah. back. 
Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk radio format streaming station. Check it out. And thanks for listening. We're back from the break. We're here with Jillian Fisher, sports anthropologist. So we were just talking right before the break about the supporter section there in Chris's beloved Islanders. And it, we were talking just then off the, off the air about what, what that kind of a supporter – because you, you, you mentioned the passion that the supporter sections bring to the MLS and the soccer, and that probably, in your opinion, plays a big part of how the MLS has been steadily, incrementally growing their fan base and becoming more mm-hmm. and more popular. And I credit that also to the U.S. men's and women's team – um, more yeah. so probably the women's team with the fantastic success that they've had. Um, mm-hmm. How do you think that that uh, a supporter section could help increase and energize a fan culture if we were going to use the Florida Panthers or the Carolina Hurricanes or even Arizona as an example? And if anybody, I know we have listeners in all three marketplaces, so if anybody's listening and wants an idea on how to help the team out, Jillian's going to help you out right now. What do you think? <laughs> I think it's great for for the team to think about a supporter section, even if it's not the, in the traditional sense, something where people feel a part of the organization. I think the biggest thing I have seen is every supporter section feel very close to their team. They feel like they have some type of impact. They feel like they're really making a difference. And they are. In soccer, they're literally sitting behind the goalie. And when he comes out, they start to cheer for him. And i got to imagine that that pumps you up. That gets you ready to go. You have people who are cheering for you, behind you. And so when you see that, you see how important it becomes to them. They, They start to really feel like, if I'm there and I cheer... And I'm, I can get energized. Maybe I can put some life back into them. And also, they get a lot of special events with the team. You know, a lot of the soccer players, they're out there at some of the tailgates for the charity events and that are hosted by the support, I mean, by the front office. And the Philadelphia Union, they have a charity event where the front office plays the supporter section. So that's, it's a really great way to get the people connected. But also, it creates a really great in-game environment. So the, the the fan that comes in who's just maybe a casual viewer is energized by that. It gets the entire stadium ready to go, and it gives you something to be proud of. You, you start developing your own traditions and your own things that are special to your city. So if you think of um, the Florida Panthers, they have the throwing of the rats that they do typically around the playoffs, and so they don't. it's not the... Biggest tradition yet because they've yeah. had some uh, some some growing. Once pains, every we'll twenty them. years, the rats come out. Right? Yeah, <laughs> no offense, Florida. Exactly, and that's, <laughs> so that's um that's something that they can that they can think about, which is why it was an interesting thing that happened when they threw the rats. And I appreciate the fact that the organization was kind of trying to get involved with that. Um, they may not have executed in the best way by giving them out before the game. Hmm. Um, yeah, but. It really helps the team establish some roots. And I know Tampa Bay Lightning has a supporter section that's pretty, uh, I think they're like the Blades of, oh my gosh, Blades of Thunder, or I forget the exact name. So if you're a Lightning fan listening, please let me know. I got it wrong. Um, but, and it, it, and it's great to see because they, they do have some chance. And if you're a fan that's young and you're looking over, the section looks fun. It looks like something you want to be a part of if you're sitting there looking at it. It's like, wow, they're standing, they're cheering. That's something I want to be a part of. So you really help rein in some of the younger fans, too. And um, like it, if Vegas gets a team, I think it's something they should really consider of how they can create a fan base that feels connected to that team because I think that's going to help them have more success there. Um, Great segue. because... <laughs> because it's something that you feel so much more connected to. I, I can't stress that enough. When I go around and do all these different supporters groups, you know, they're there but the day before, 
behind the scenes, you know, painting and they're interacting with all of the crew that's there. They're, you know, high-fiving the local media guys. So they feel like they're a part of it. And that's so important. And I think for Vegas, that would be very important. It's, it's important for cities that need that. You know, you can look at Carolina. You can look at Phoenix. But it's also great. If they're going to start talking about an expansion, this is something that they really need to consider. It's how to get our fans engaged and keep them engaged. And what can we do? And supporter sections are a great way to look at that. That's uh, that's a good idea. And with uh, the latest the latest season, and I, I, I know firsthand Mr. Foley's um, going to do a fantastic job of engaging the community here. Mm-hmm. Um, he already has plans for four uh, youth rinks where mm-hmm. basically it's going to be, you know, hockey is one of the most expensive sports to get kids involved in. It's not, oh, yeah. it's not soccer. It's not baseball. It's, it's, you know, it's tough. So there's going to be all kind of programs to help underprivileged kids or, you know, families that mm-hmm. don't, don't have seven, $800 to blow on hockey gear, uh, get involved in the community. He's going to put f- at least four to start with, from what I understand, rinks all over, all over Las Vegas and the practice facility that they're going to be at two or three days, you know, two or three hours a day or whatever, yeah. is also yeah. then going to be conver- uh, open to the public after they're done. And he's 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 already committed to to Las Vegas. Well, for our for our uh, supporter section, it might be the entire Upper Bowl season ticket holders because it's entirely sold out now. Um, Which is amazing. Yeah, and the. <laughs> The center eye sections on both sides in the lower bowl are sold out for three years. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a waiting list on the the mid-loge level as well. But if we just turn the whole upper bowl into a giant supporter section with season ticket holders, that would pretty that would be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm down with that. That's where I'm sitting. And the, the best part about that, too, especially in Vegas where entertainment is this important part of the culture out there that's what i think of is that it's it's the city that you think of like all right i'm going to go out there i'm going to gamble i'm going to see some shows because there's they have great shows out there and now they can add sports to that they can add major league sports to that i don't think you want to miss up on that miss that opportunity and if you add that crazy fun environment people are going to people are going to look at it and be interested in that like what what are, what's so what's going on why is everyone singing and cheering like that during the game and there's a drum in the stadium. What is happening? This is crazy, and it's interesting, and people tend to want to be a part of that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially, obviously, in a non-traditional market. There's, yeah. I mean, there's 2.2 million people that live here in the valley full time now, and a lot of them um, are here from Boston or Minnesota or Chicago or New mm-hmm. York or even Canada. Um, there's a lot. There's a big Russian population here. And we were, we had Clint Malarchuk on the very first episode of the show, and he played here for the Las Vegas Thunder in the '90s. And he said that that the the people were not here on casino comps; they weren't coming to the games on freebies. The people that came to hockey games were there to see hockey. Even even that being said, I understand that, and I've been I've been beating the drum to use a. a what we've been talking about, the little supporter section. I've been beating the drum since they announced the ticket drive. And I remember, I remember going to those hockey games, and it was it was electric yeah. in the stadiums back then when there was only four hundred thousand people in in town. Uh-huh. And but they're, you know, one thing they're going to have to do is engage the local casual sports fan, get them uh-huh. excited about having something in the community that isn't gaming related or show yeah. related, and uh-huh. turn them. Because there's there's fourteen thousand of the seventeen thousand five hundred for hockey are already already booked season, full season. Yeah. Um. So those extra thirty five hundred seats. Number one, we don't want them to be filled with no offense, Red Wings fans, Maple Wings fans, Blackhawks fans, and, yeah, exactly. and turning yeah. our our stadium it. into a, a road home game for some of the other teams. Yeah. Like it was exactly. in L A for so long when when the Red mm-hmm. Wings would come to town, it would be a Red Wings home game. So you need to come up with a way to engage and keep and turn that casual hockey fan into a return customer, if if you want to call them customers. And, what, you know, it's a great idea. One way to do that is to have something exciting, uh, 
uh, obviously besides the product on the ice, but yeah. have have the the engagement of a supporter section might you know be a great idea for a franchise like Vegas and hopefully Quebec City for our friends in Quebec City we got our fingers crossed for you too. <laughs> um, I, I you know you know everything in the media is saying that that may or may not come to fruition, but uh, you, you know they're our sister city. Hopefully when we go in in 2017, I know I know Chris wanted to bring up just touch a little bit since you you you're now in Boston and have lived in Philly. Mm-hmm. He wanted to uh, talk a little bit. We've got about five minutes left. If you could kind of touch, compare, and contrast a little bit on the Philly versus Boston rivalry, and and who's going to get the best of it going into the playoffs? They're right there next. Who's going to get the what was that? Who, who's going to get, get the last spot? Yeah, who's going to get the last spot? Well, right now it's looking like Boston might. They're up to one on Detroit, and the Flyers are down one nothing on the Maple Leafs. Oh. They're hurting my heart a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Especially they just lost to Detroit yeah. yesterday, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they did. Sorry they to did. bring that up. I apologize. It's okay. I, I try to be Switzerland. This is that's my, that's another thing with sport anthropology is I you got to remove your personal bias if you want to get in there and you really want to understand what makes that so unique and what makes it so important to those other people. You got to remove your personal bias. Sure. So I always call myself Switzerland. Um, <laughs> the, the Boston and Philly, there's a similarity in the passion there. They're they're both very passionate cities, um, and they're both tough. They're Tough cities, you know. It's, it's a northeast thing, I think, right. and you can you can say the same probably about New, both New York teams. Probably more so the Islanders. They're a little bit. Um, I feel like they feel like a little bit like people haven't looked at them. They always look at the Rangers. So, but Boston and, and oh, the Philly. Flo- the, Florida, the Florida Panthers owner uh, said in the last twenty four hours he wants his team to play the Islanders because he it's still be oh. like a hot night going through butter. And then he's going to get there. Ooh. He uh, yeah. was on. Uh, he, w- he went on serious radio. See, and that's just so, you don't. Pl- and I also I don't like when people are like, well, which team do you want to play? I think from both a fan perspective and a team perspective, the moment you start thinking about which team do I want to play better, instead of worrying about playing your own game, you've you've already mentally taken a step down because you're already trying to say we're not good enough for this other team. And you don't know how that other team's yeah. going to play against you. You don't know who's going to get hot at the right time. And also, you just got to play your game. That's all you got to do. And if it's, you got to find a way to make it work. But also, I wouldn't want to go into Islander Stadium right now. Those fans are nuts there. People don't, I don't think people have seen that quite yet. But there's, I mean, I can, when I watch the games, I can hear the Blue and Orange Army on TV a lot of times. So that's pretty impressive. Imagine the playoffs for them. That's, going to be wild there. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it would be interesting because, you know, the Coliseum, the way it was built and the way that, you know, the, the mm-hmm. roof was literally not that far from the top sections, uh, yeah. just captured all the noise, so uh, even though the Coliseum was falling apart, it was yeah. actually a great place to watch a game and uh, yeah. and the noise level in there, especially for those big games in the playoffs, yeah. was just uh, un- unlike any place, any place else. But yeah, that was, uh, and that what's ironic is uh, uh, the owner, the co-owner of the Panthers, made that uh, comment uh, yeah. saying he wanted the Islanders, thinking his team would just, you know, go through them. Uh, it's mm-hmm. from Syops at Long Island, so okay. kind, of, kind of funny. <laughs> I'm sitting here shaking my head, and I'm, you know, I'm sitting here shaking my head. I am not a billionaire sports team owner. I'm just a little humble guy from Las Vegas having fun talking sports. And I know better than to say that. <laughs> yeah. You just don't want to do it. And the other thing, it. too, is he may be trying to rile things up. He might be trying to shake things up a little bit. Ooh. You know, maybe they know they're going to play the Islanders, and they're like, let's just shake it up. Let's, let's piss some people off. You know, let's get some people angry, and let's get some people really ready to go. Let's get our fans in there. Let's get the players riled up, man. They said this about us. Um and you, you could shake them off their game a little bit. Oh, it's it's gonna it's gonna have that effect, I would think. Knowing at least Chris from Long Island, uh, first thing he, <laughs> first thing he did, he texted me in all capital letters. You won't believe what Lord <laughs> Panther just said. Like, oh no, here we go. Yeah, here we go. But yeah, so the difference, though, I mean, so when you look at the Northeast in general, I think you have that tough market. You have fans who are tough. They're a little bit. They're gonna tell you like it is. Uh, but I think Boston fans, they have a, 
there's a, there's a little bit of a different culture in that Boston and Massachusetts is really great for producing great players, so they have a little bit different of a pride there. There's more to it than just the team on the ice. They're proud about their ice hockey, which not saying that Philadelphia isn't. They're passionate. You, we all know they're passionate let me, fans there. Let me jump in. We're 15 minutes out, and uh, I got to go, yeah. so we'll be right back. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk-radio-format streaming station. Check it out. And we're back once again. Thank you guys for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast with Chris Lethal and Mark Warner. We were getting into the, a little bit into the culture of, of the Boston area and the Northeast in general about how there's a little bit of a, a tough uh, chip on your shoulder attitude, uh, if you will, <laughs> in that Northeast corridor. And uh, just recently there was a player who was drafted in 2012, Jimmy Vesey, who was drafted by the Predators and has decided after four years at Harvard and getting his degree, congratulations, Jimmy. That's a fantastic achievement, by the way. Uh, You know, good job sticking to your guns with pro contracts lurking in front of you and going to Harvard and finishing your degree, uh, you know, from nobody out here in Las Vegas to you. Congratulations, because that's an awesome accomplishment. (laughs) Um, Nobody gets a chance to do that in real life. So you did well, son. But uh, now, now uh, deciding that you don't want to join the team and return to the Boston area, hopefully, if Boston, mm-hmm. by, all, by all accounts, they, the Bruins do seem interested to the point where not too long after August, when his rights are released by Nashville, most people kind of expect him to go back to sign with Boston what what knowing knowing the fan base there since you've been there a year mm-hmm. what is it yeah. what is it about that area that is is going to draw a kid like Jimmy back to is I, it's got to be more than just I want to play home right there's got to be more to it than that yeah. yeah and that ties into Boston's pride I think they have a lot of pride in you know that they're one of the states that can say they put out NHL players they put out great players um, even women's players, Alex Carpenter, scores an overtime winner in the Hello. Uh, Hello. US teams. Yeah, so, By the way, congratulations so have, to the women's yeah. USA team winning the world championship yeah. earlier this week. Yeah. Fantastic job. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's the thing is that I can't tell you my Twitter was blowing up with people from the area to be like talking about who where Alex Carpenter is from. Oh, that's right, Massachusetts. So oh, people, yeah. they want to remind you of it. And that's great. It's it's great, and it's something that you're not going to see in a lot of other areas in the country. Maybe Minnesota is another great example of one. But if you're going to Nashville, you don't have that same kind of pride in we put out these players. And that's just the difference between the people around the area. Ice hockey is important here. It's maybe not as important as I'm, I keep bringing up Minnesota because they are the state of hockey, but... You grow up, and that's something that if you want to play it, like it's it's totally acceptable and it's totally encouraged. And the college ice hockey around the town, around the state, is impressive. I mean, they even have the Bean Pot ice hockey tournament, For sure. and they they fill up TD Garden. It's pretty impressive. Um, so I, I, I that's one part of it, but I think another part is they are proud of their teams too. They are. I mean, they talk about Boston as a great sports town. And that's because it is. I mean, sometimes I don't like to admit it because <laughs> they're, they've been good for so long. Right. Um, but they're crazy about their sports up here, and that's fun. I mean, as a sports fan in general, that's fun. And if you're playing on a team where you know that even when we're not doing great, they're still going to be showing up for us, that's fun to play. That's fun to play in front of. I have to imagine it's better than going to a team where Nashville is a great is a great ice hockey town nobody expected it at the time when they did that expansion or move but it turned out well but <laughs> so i mean i don't know maybe vegas can be the next national but <laughs> the first um, vegas the, the first, there you go <laughs> but i think there's that that's a huge part of it is that it's a sports town it's fun to play in a sports town it's fun where people are excited to, to see you play and people around here 
they love Boston. They they love where they live. They're so proud of it. So and he's from around here. He went to school in Harvard, and they love it. I mean, I'm not from around here, but anybody that I talk to that has lived here or has moved here, I mean, people from Florida I know have gone to college here, and despite the horrendous winters we get, and you got to imagine, Florida has some pretty nice winters. They stay because they love the area. So there's a lot going on around here that would make somebody want to stay around here. And the fact that it's home for him just is an added benefit. So the character in the movie Fever Pitch is based on a conglomeration of Boston <laughs> fans? Is that what you're telling me? Um, I, I, I don't want to make it sound negative, honestly, because it's not. But yeah, more or less, it's, they are as crazy as you think they are. And they, can, they will be able to talk to you about the history of any team. They... They can go toe to toe with you about other teams, and they're they're just nuts for it, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. No, that's <laughs> awesome. So, so talking to you now, I, I you're you're a fan of sports for the stories that can come out of it and the moments that you get to witness, <laughs> way more mm-hmm. so than you would be a fan of of advanced stats and analytics and that angle Absolutely. of sports, which, which is awesome. Absolutely. That's, that's why, you know, most, most people fall in love with sports <laughs> is, is to be there at the, at that moment. So what, mm-hmm. uh, of all the places you've been and all the places that you've, that you've gone to sporting events in, what's the one moment that you could, if you have one or, or a couple even, uh, that you could reach back on and go, man, I would never trade, that moment for anything i got a couple so the first one is going to be like people are like really that's what you're thinking about so i was at the bean pot last year and again this is college ice hockey i was sitting in the northeastern student section which was wild and it was right next to the boston university student section and it's the final and it's, it's all about bragging rights and bragging rights are important in this town and um northwestern was down uh Two nothing or it was three one and it was a two goal deficit and they scored back to back goals in the third period and I, I caught it on camera. I'll have to I'll, I'll have to sh- send you guys the link for the Instagram video I put up there. I have never been a part of something where I like I almost my goosebumps lasted for like ten minutes because they went so wild that I looking back on those videos, I'm like, okay, it was as awesome as I'm remembering it because it was just unlike anything. I mean, they were nuts. Those two goals, they tied it. They haven't won since the 1980s and they were ready for it. They so thought they were going to win. And they tied it and it was just wild. It was unlike anything, any other passion that I'd seen, especially because it was college ice hockey. I, I really had never experienced college ice hockey before. So that was, that's one that really sticks out. Another one, and uh, this is this is because it's my Flyers. Um, they were in the Stanley Cup final. I was going to college at the time. I lived about two hours away, and I had a friend who had graduated, and we had gone to one game every series leading up to that. So, and we were at the one where they went down three zero against Boston in that series, and we went to the first game against Montreal. So we had been through that roller coaster, right? And then we went we went to the Stanley Cup final. Paid $400 for the last row in the entire stadium. Uh, and, like, as a college student, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, a car payment. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was. And you know what? I would never trade that experience for anything. Like, I had to skip a class. Um, but we sat next to this, this couple, and the wife called them all by their first names. It was so cute. <laughs> like, I'd never heard anybody do that before. And just to be a part of a Stanley Cup, I mean, it, it made me want to see, like, I don't care where it is at this point. I want to be there when the home team wins the cup because yeah. it's just passion and the intent. And the, the, I can't even imagine what it must be like the first time they hoist the cup in front of their fans. Like, I, I see it on TV and it, it makes it, you get almost chills. I can't imagine what it's like to be in that stadium for it. Um, God, there's so many moments I'm thinking of right now, but the, they all have that same that same energy, that same where it was this unexpected twist of fate or unexpected, you know, we were down by this much and they won. Um, those two really stick out to me. And I also went to the U.S. Women's National Team Parade. Um, I, I had to, I ended up like setting the alarm off in a friend's house 
and the parents were in England, and so they got a phone call from the police at 4 o'clock in the morning because <laughs> I was in their home and couldn't set the alarm off. Um, it was The weather was horrendous for me getting there. There was severe thunderstorms and all that, all that fun stuff. And to be in that crowd, to see, and I love the U.S. and international team, and to be at that parade, and just like hearing people talk about it, and, hear, and seeing boys wearing shirts that had Wombach on it, was just, I think it's such a great scene, and it was so great to be a part of that celebration. It really was. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. For me, yeah. for me, and being a Kings fan since uh, the Triple Crown line in the late 70s, early mm-hmm. 80s. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just to watch... Uh, you know, Dustin Brown raised the cup on replay oh, yeah. because my, my, <laughs> my, and I'll never begrudge this, that, that June 12th, 2012, my daughter got her black belt in Taekwondo. So uh, I was there, of course, and I was not watching it. I had my, you know, my phone blowing up, my Twitter's blowing up. And oh, no. I, I, it was, it was, they, they went up three nothing, obviously, everybody remembers. Mm. And I turned my phone off. I said, this is more important to me than what's happening right now. I'm going to focus on my daughter. It's being recorded. I'll live through it when I get home. And, yeah. <laughs> and now she's a third-degree black belt, so uh, well-invested. And just watching it on replay, um, the just the stadium, the, the guy had the sign. Uh, he wrote it for his kid. He said, my daddy's waited 43 years, but I'm one for one. And he was holding oh. an infant baby. So those are the those are the kind of moments that you're bringing back to me talking to you, and I've had a really fun time talking with you tonight. Chris, do you want to yeah. jump in? And uh, we got about four minutes left before we got to go. Um, you got anything left to go? Yeah, actually, Julie. Yeah, Julie yeah. just really brought up a couple of excellent points at the end there. One of the questions I had for her, it's something being a big sports fan all my life. It's like, you know, why do we get so invested? Uh, you know, because it's not really logical. I mean, how our teams do yeah. really sometimes the next day is if we're up or we're down, and you know, it's supposed to be an escape. But uh, I think she hit it home before of those kind of moments. Uh, and, uh, not to get armchair psychologists, but those kind yeah. of feelings, <laughs> and, and the endorphins going through our bodies in terms of being at those big events and uh, for our teams to come through, uh, you know, because okay. at the end of the day, as, as Jerry Seinfeld says, we're, you know, we are just rooting for the laundry, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's so fun to be a part of that and be with thousands of people who are excited for it. And I think another reason why we keep coming back, and I've, I often say it's like high school love, where you sometimes it hurts you, but you keep coming back. And that's a lot about what, the, what I try to study is people are proud of, this this particular team because of what they represent. They represent something that's really important to them. So you could look at Philly, it's blue collar. So when that team works hard and they get dirty and they, they're working that grind, man, we are proud of it. And that's why they love that 2010 team. They were never out because they worked their butts off. And that's, that's something that you think about when you look at all these teams and why they're so successful is because they found a way to connect with that community in a, sen- in a way that makes sense for them to be proud of. Well, that's what Mike Richards brought to the Los Angeles Kings. Yeah. And, and that's and, why you guys love Wayne Simmons and uh, the player you got it, in that deal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. there you go. It, it works out. And then, then you have those moments, those moments that you remember. It helps make it, it reminds you why you keep doing this because you're proud of those moments because people are looking at it and you're like, look, we can do it. We have these great moments and we should be proud of it. It's, 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 Sports are wonderful that way, and they're powerful. They they do a lot of really great things, and you know, there's a dark side, of course, of everything. There's something you can look at that's negative, but man, the positive is just unlike anything else. That's fantastic. Well, Jillian, we've had a great time talking with you tonight. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You guys, yeah. you guys, you want you want some more of the content that we've been talking about? Follow her at Fisher Jillian on Twitter, and she and her Instagram's the same. So uh, make sure make sure you give her a follow if you're in if you're if you're a fancy stat guy or gal and you want to discuss coursey numbers and stuff probably not for you um, but if you're if you're like me and you're into the the stories and the soul I'm gonna call it the soul of sports and it transparent mm-hmm. across all all genres of sports from hockey to tennis to soccer and what have you um, where you can get just as excited about a, co- a college game as you can about a Stanley Cup final. 
um, and find that love in the same person sitting next to you in any arena in the country. Uh, Jillian Fisher is where you want to go to read about it. So thank you once again. <laughs> thank you once again for sharing that with us. It's been awesome talk tonight. Thank you guys for having me. It's been it was a lot of fun. All right, we'll talk to you soon well, down you, the road. Jillian. Definitely. We'll talk to you down the road. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Cool. Thank you so much, and have especially, have a great especially night. once. Go ahead. Once Vegas gets a, once Vegas gets a team, I'll definitely be there. You, you, you <laughs> come out here, I'll take you to the game. How about that? Deal. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Bye. All right, Chris, we're going to run to a break here. I'm right up against it, and we'll come back with around the league segment in two two seconds. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey right, talk radio format streaming station. Check it out. Vegas Hockey Podcast, our guest with Julian Fisher, sports anthropologist, one who studies the culture and moments of sports all over the world. Um I guess not a bad job if you could get it. That's uh, not bad. I had a great chat with her. Um, let's go on. Uh, if you guys want, if you guys want to follow Jillian on on Twitter, and that's uh, if you enjoyed the conversation tonight, this she gets all her content up on Twitter at Fisher Jillian. So um, make sure make sure you give her a follow. It's a lot of fun. Uh, moving on to the around the league, we kind of reversed it this time. Um, the hottest team in hockey, Pittsburgh Penguins. What are they going to do when Malkin comes back? Well, he's going to be out for a little while, I believe. Again, teams are very, as we just saying off the very cryptic regarding their injuries and such. But, um, yeah, it's so funny, you know, going into March, everyone was, uh, everyone was, uh, saying, you know, uh, you don't want to play the, the Capitals come to playoffs. So now it, it, it's, it's more you don't want to play the Penguins. Um, only thing is, you have to wonder. I mean, they uh, on such a such a roll. Uh, actually, their you know their, their regular season ends uh, this Saturday, the the ninth, and then they'll have a few days off. They probably like would wish that the season, the playoffs started on on the Monday. You know, so like, wait a minute, we don't want to, we want to get right at it. So um, yeah, it's been an incredible run that they've been on. So uh, it's, who would who would have thunk it if? Uh, uh, when they lost Malkin, that they would be playing this well. Uh, I'm they're a quality team, but I got I got to be honest, I'm very very surprised. Yeah, it's uh, I didn't see it coming. I thought, I, and I got when next week uh, when we do our Eastern Conference preview show with Matt Pryor, he's going to be on to uh, help us break down the East. Um, I got to ask him if he had, you know, we talked mid season. And he has this playoff predictor formula that that hits at about a ninety ninety two percent clip every season. So I got I don't remember whether he had ever put the Penguins in or out of the playoffs, but uh, maybe, I think he had them. I think he had them in. Were they in? Because I don't think, I think they were actually in. in a playoff position the last time we talked to him. I have to ask him about that. I know I he, he. I know he had the Flyers out. And we're right. Yeah, that's the one he's yeah, gonna. That's we might we might bring that up, <laughs> depending depending if the flyers. So what did you What did you think? Go ahead. What did you think about which? What were your thoughts on the Duncan Keith uh, suspension? Did, did you think it was enough, or just right, or not enough? I don't think it was enough, to be honest with you. Um, I know that uh, I was talk. I was tweeting with Dana Lane. And he had to remind me that as far as repeat offender status, that slate gets wiped clean after 18 months. So in the eyes of the player safety department, um, he was not a repeat offender. But I'm sure most people can remember when he took a two-handed whack at Jeff Carter's face in the middle of uh, the Western Conference Finals a couple years back and knocked out two of his teeth and gave him 37 stitches to go with it. Um, and now, and, and the other, let's, let's be honest, the other guy, um, roughed him up and, and was certainly not innocent, uh, in, in the whole situation. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think, I think that's the kind of, of thing that doesn't need to be. I mean, I'm on record as saying that I think there's a place for the John Scotts in the league. I think, I, I mean, uh, I, I absolutely believe that it that they help keep those incidents from happening when they're on a player's roster. 
or on a team's roster. Um, but just a, just a vicious uh, stick incident right to the face. I, I think it should have been 10 games myself. Um, going back through the history. So this would be my only... Go ahead. This would be my only point about, point about it, and it's, it's a question to all hockey fans. If that play, if we, if we change the players, and if it was a third-pairing defenseman who did that to, let's say, a Jonathan Tays or Sidney Crosby, would they get the same suspension that Duncan Keith got? 100% not. And that's absolutely what that tells me with only giving him six games. They gave him the rest of the regular season and one playoff game. So basically they could say, hey, he was suspended for a playoff game. Um, but you have a two-time Norris Trophy winner and a Conn Smythe Trophy winner and a three-time Stanley Cup champion. Um, that's kid gloves. Six, six games for that kind of an incident is kid gloves in my opinion. I think 10 would have sent a better message. If you look back in the history of the league at stick incidents that were, uh, uh, you know, similar to that, it, it, and it's hard It's hard now with the player safety, and um, the, uh, let's face it, they're inconsistent in what they do. And uh, absolutely, if it was, let's just say, a Rafi Torres swinging a stick at somebody's face, he'd have got the rest. He, he'd have probably been banned from the game for life. Uh, exactly. Um, and so you, we we went we went from that to just a, a shocking story uh, about Steven Stamkos uh, having the surgery with the blood clot, and uh, you know he's out for one to three months. I uh, I think it's a lot closer to three months than one month, but Jeez. you know who knows. Um, yeah, it's a uh, very scary surgery. From more reports, are successful. It sounds like he'll be fine, but. No, he very well could have played his last game in a Lightning uniform. That was going to be my question to you about that. You've been on the Stamkos to Toronto since August. Um, you think that's it for him? You think that's how he goes out? Uh, just a quick segment. Uh, uh, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I wrote an article at the last word of sports this week about uh, pending uh, the big free agent class, not this coming year, but next. And I broke down kind of Tampa's cap and just how much of a mess it is in terms of all their core players either becoming UFAs or RFAs. It is going to be hard. Uh, they're going to have to let go of some good players. So um, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm. I don't think they're going to break the banks for him uh, in terms of you know giving him 11 million a year. So um, I think he's worth and, it. And negotiations kind of showing that. I think. Yeah, he's but I, I think I. Uh, if I was a betting man, I would bet he'll be on another team uh, next year. I I have to agree with you. What is what is his, you know, Eastern Conference finalist last year with without him in the lineup? Um, geez, what do you think? I know they brought up Drew in. Yeah, I mean, and they were, you know, and they they lost Anton Strowman, you know. Uh, uh, a few days before that, and he's at the minimum, probably the first round of playoffs, probably the first two rounds. Um, so, yeah, they they do have a lot of good players. Uh, you know, depending upon uh, how the, the the depending upon um, their first round of draw, they're either going to get Boston or Detroit. So, I, I can actually see them getting to that second round and. You know, maybe Strowman's a bit of a quick heel. I, I don't know. That seems a bit of a reach to me at that point. But, you know, we'll see. I, I, I don't know. It, it definitely uh, was uh, makes uh, hurts them overall. There's no doubt about it. Mm. I'm just sad for the city of Tampa. And then we get to the yeah, then we get to the Ducks, who uh, also were, uh, uh, you know, they're going down like uh, with all these injuries as well. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, I, I think he could almost trace the whole duck season turnaround to when they acquired David Perron, uh, separated shoulder back in March, and he's still slated to be out at least another couple weeks based on, you know, whatever limited information comes out of, of uh, injuries here as we head towards the playoffs. And also, Freddie Anderson drops out. Um, not sure on when he may or may not be back, but... That just means they got to ride Gibson the rest of the way. We were talking with Sicard, Felix Sicard, here about the Ducks a couple, about a month ago now, and he's obviously one of the strengths of that club in his eyes. He didn't care who started one way or the other. Gibson, Anderson, lace him up, let's go. Well, now you've got uh, 
you got to just ride Gibson, um, which probably is where they were going to head anyway. But um, David Perron has come in, in instant chemistry with that club. And Freddie Anderson, obviously. Yeah, he, that he, trade really worked out well for both teams because Carl Hagelin went the other way. And he's and, on fire And he's Pittsburgh. been really great for the Penguins. For sure. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's funny. Chemistry has really worked out well for, uh, yeah, so again, it, it seems like. That could affect, uh, again, it could affect some really injuries. good teams in the playoffs for sure. And even Corey Crawford yeah, had, his, but, had his head you know, injury they, in Chicago and then with Duncan Keith out. Uh, if they end up matching up with the Blues in the first round, that could uh, be all that Chicago wants right then in that situation. With and nothing against Scott Darling, he had he had a great little few games in the playoffs last year when he when they needed him, but uh, yeah, that could tip the scales in our Western Conference preview next week with JD Styles coming in on the twelfth to br- help us break down the Western Conference. Um, if if Crawford isn't going to be back in for that, I. And I don't like their chemistry since the trade deadline. I, they, just, yeah, the only thing I would say about that is last year, last year was the same thing. They kind of had a very underwhelming march, and then they went on to win the cup. You know what I mean? So uh, uh, I would, uh, I'm not going to. You know, I would say that's. It's not the way I would uh, want uh, the team I'm rooting for to go into the playoffs, but you know the Black Hawks are. Uh, you know they're a different they're a different animal than everybody else. So not yeah. that they're not trying or whatnot, but you know, they've hit a little, little bit of a low kind of thing at this point. And uh, again, I wouldn't put it past them, but they're going to have a tough first round series. Obviously, it'll be uh, it's either going to be Dallas or St. Louis. So, Oof. yeah, I, I don't know. I'm have to look into that. I'm have to look into that. The, the other that's team, still up in the air. Other game in the go. West uh, not going into the playoffs playing well is the Los Angeles Kings. And everyone in Kingsland is like, oh, they're in the playoffs, it's okay. I, I don't believe that. I believe that you need to go into the playoffs with, with momentum, um, having built yourself through the last three or four weeks of the season. I mean, three weeks ago, we were singing their praises, how they went into Chicago, went into Dallas, beat Washington, beat Boston. Back-to-back back nights, Mark. Yeah, I know. We were, we, were, we were high and mighty on the Kings here. Now, if you put them in the power rankings now, they've probably – from being second or third in the league, I put him about eight or ninth in the league right now, just based on recent play. And that's not how a team that's supposed to be yeah, a that, top favorite is supposed it, to go in the playoffs. I'm not liking it at all. Hey, look, they're they're one of the big teams. They're you know one of the big teams of the West. It's still, in my mind, um, you know, it's it's very much going to have some great long series. But uh, the Hawks and the Kings are the top two teams, and they have the experience. And they have the confidence of the core of those teams being cup winners. Um, so, Tell you uh, what, whereas you know, teams like here's a here's a scenario that no one's talking about: Kings lose tonight to the Ducks, lose Saturday night to Winnipeg, and the Sharks win out. The Kings go from first in the Pacific and home ice throughout the divisional rounds to third in the Pacific, and they got to go to the Sharks in the first round. Not the way you need to go into the playoffs. I don't care about your core. I don't care about your experience. Yeah, but I think that's he, not what you do in the last week of a season. I've seen the last week of a season meltdown. I, I, team. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I, I, I got a funny feeling that well, the last game of the year when they they play the Jets. I'm not sure if it's a home game or a road game. Home. Uh, they'll they'll do what they have to do, and it's a home game that they'll do what they have to do. And if worst case, may secure that first you know home ice advantage and. Uh, nothing against the Sharks have been better this year than I than I thought they would be. I thought they were kind of like on the bubble of a playoff team. Obviously, they 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 finished third, or minimum third, finishing third in the division. Yeah, Burnsy um, could be a Norris Trophy finalist. That, having said that, the Kings are deeper. They're a better team, and Jonathan Quick against Martin Jones. So nothing against Martin Jones. But, Great storyline. Um, uh, you know, thank, I'm, thank I'm you, gonna take the Kings in that, in that matchup. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll throw that out next week when we bring the boys in for the conference breakdowns. Chris, I got to run. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, absolutely. Matt Pryor's the East Show, and which will be the first one, and the second one's with uh, good buddy JD Styles as well as Matt. So, me and Matt will be throwing down the gloves possibly if we Ooh. get that Island of Panther matchup. It it might get a little heat. Might get a little heated. I think you're ready to go right now after the Florida comments earlier. <laughs> I think you're already dropping the gloves, man. Oh, 
You might go cage match. Oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I am happy. I love that. Uh, I love that, that for the audience. The owner of that made that comment I because uh, I guarantee you, not that the Islanders are going to give the 200%. They don't need the owner of the Panthers uh, to uh, to get them all motivated. But, you know, you know it is in sports. It's like, oh, yeah, well, that's interesting. Okay. I have a rally cry. No, no problem. Yeah, you want us, you guys. No, I would post that. Yeah, that's it. And not for nothing, I, I look, uh, the Panthers uh, are a very good team. They've had a very consistent year. I'm not going to give away the preview show. But, uh, you know, they have a lot of experience on that roster in terms of, in terms of uh, sure. playoffs. I mean, Hubert most of them have even played a playoff Go game on yet, and on, for sure. Well, hey, I got five seconds. Yeah, no, I, I got to go. go tune in next week, okay. and we're gone.